Well, good morning. I appreciate y'all letting me fill in for Joe. I assume he's doing well, right? I think he's, uh, he's doing great um, with everything, all things considered. Um, boy, he's faced this like a, like, what's the big deal? <laughs> it's very admirable. Yeah, he's just, uh, he's an inspiration there, so. Um, well, you know, when you, when you have something on your heart and in your mind that you want to communicate, you always have that fear that it's just not going to come out or get across to everybody else the way that you feel about it. You're not going to, you know, they're not going to have that same passion about it or somehow you're not going to communicate right. But so my goal this morning would be to just get people to, to get you guys to maybe leave here thinking a little bit differently about Jesus a little bit more in love with him and relating to him, maybe like you haven't before. That sounds like a pretty big goal, (laughs) so I don't really know that that's going to happen, but that's what I'm praying for and hoping for. So if I would give this a title this morning, it would be Religious or Related. Are you religious about Jesus or are you related to him? If you grew up in church, you have probably had to deal with a religious spirit of some sort at some time. It's easy for that to kind of creep in, and and the rules and the tradition and all that to kind of get in the way. You might have heard things like, wear your Sunday best, it's important to look your best for God. And, And I think as a kid growing up, I used to kind of think, yeah, that's we need to do that. But then as I got older, I started thinking about, what about my brothers and sisters in other parts of the world where they don't have a suit and tie? You know, they don't have the Sunday best. So it's just one of those things that's kind of a tradition of man. It just kind of gets in the way. What about this one? Keep your voice down. Don't be too loud in church. You wouldn't want to get too rowdy. Stop running. Or this row is reserved for ushers. You can't sit here. (laughs) Or we only use a King James Version. Now, there's probably a lot of reasons for that. But, again, you know, it's just one of those things. It's like it's literally named after an earthly king. (laughs) Not that there's anything wrong with the King James Version. There's not. But sometimes we can just become so dogmatic, can't we, about certain things. Oh, how about this one? Never, ever drink alcohol. Forget the fact that at the wedding of Cana, Jesus made out of water what would have been the equivalent of about 900 bottles of wine. (laughs) If you do the math, you'll get around that number. You have to be baptized in this church to be a member here. (laughs) No transfers. (laughs) We can't have that. You might have been baptized into the kingdom, but you weren't baptized in this church. And we don't have that idea here, thankfully. But, But you probably run across that at some point. Oh, here's one. Guitars and drums, that's the devil's music. Yeah. Sorry, Alan, or Elena, sorry. Sorry, Robert. <laughs> Eli on the djembe, I'm sure that counts. That's a drum. <laughs> Can you believe what that new lady is wearing? That blouse is too low cut for the house of God. Now, we don't know anything about the new lady or where she came from. 
but she doesn't look right, right? Those kids that ride in on the church bus are too disruptive. We've got to put our foot down. We may have to stop bringing them here. They're too disruptive. You can't have drinks in the sanctuary. A spill might stain the carpet. Oh, we wouldn't want that now, would we? Webster's defines religion as a personal set or institutionalized system of religious attitudes, beliefs, and practices. One more time for those in the back. A personal set or institutionalized system of religious attitudes, beliefs, and practices. Now on its face, that's, there's really nothing wrong with that. To have a personal set of or institutionalized system of religious attitudes, beliefs, and practices. We have things as Christians that we, that we do that might fit into that, those categories. But it can certainly get a little bit out of hand sometimes. And we start adding on and adding on and adding on. And pretty soon Jesus is pushed to the side. Anybody seen the movie Jesus Revolution? Yeah. How about that? Wow. That fits right into this, does it not? You remember the scene where the hippies start coming to, uh, was it Calvary Chapel out there in, in California? They start coming to be a part of the church, to worship service. And, of course, there's a dichotomy right off the bat. They're sitting on one side and everybody else is on the other. And, you know, they're dressed a little different and they didn't have shoes on. And Remember the, uh, the, the scene where one of the probably a founding church member has to address a very important matter that these people are not wearing shoes and their feet are staining the shag carpet. This is the 70s, so shag carpet. Probably came in red, gold, or green. That's the way it was, right? Their feet are staining the shag carpet. We can't have that now, can we? But you remember what happened? The next opening scene, there's a big long line of hippies filing into the church. And the reason there's a line is because one at a time, the pastor was washing their feet. You can't bring that accusation anymore, huh? Oh, they're going to stain the shag carpet. So you have the difference between religion and relationship. So as we get into this and, and look at it, let's just pause and, and pray. Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are a friend a friend that sticks closer than a brother, that you do relate to us. And Lord, we know we can get rules and traditions and religious ideas very much in the way of just simply relating to you and following you and hearing you and walking with you. And so I just pray that you would just reveal to each of us anything in our life that would be in the way, that we would just set that aside to just meet with you, to walk hand in hand with you each and every day, to see you as you really are. And so I just pray you would open our hearts and minds, Holy Spirit, to speak your word to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So we need to get Jesus out of the realm of religion. And we need to understand that 
He came to have a relationship with people. After all, he is Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. That is relationship. And you know, Jesus actually used the religious people of his day to help make the point that religion and tradition is so often a hindrance and not a help. And I thought of uh, one very good but very sad example of what religion can do. Anybody heard of Westboro Baptist Church? Wow. Do you know what their website is? Anybody want to take a stab at that? Their website. GodHatesFags.com That's a church website. (laughs) So right off the bat, we have man's ideas (laughs) about things getting in the way and turning people away and turning people off in such a horrible way. They, uh, these people at, at that church, if we can call it that, they protest at the funerals of service members because they say that they fought in a war that was caused by America's tolerance of homosexuality. Well, I don't know, that may, you know, we could debate that all day long, but that's not the point. (laughs) The point is, how are you representing Christ to these people? They say that every terrorist attack or natural disaster is God's judgment for America's acceptance and tolerance of homosexuality, as if that's the only sin that's out there. And yeah, you know, the Bible's very, very uh, plain about that is a sin. The people need help. They need Jesus. They need to be able to be free from that. But that's what religion can lead to, taking verses out of context, having a militant attitude that's not tempered by grace. Is this where following Jesus leads us? If not, how do we get there? We got there through the traditions, the ideas of man, through religion. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, Jesus says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, who were they? Weren't they very, very steeped in tradition and religion? (laughs) They were, man, they they had the law down and they followed it to it, added to it, followed it to a T. But unless your righteousness surpasses theirs, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. So if being religious is what gets you there, I don't think you and I stand a chance because we're not going to out-religion the Pharisees. Surely, how could we? So how does our righteousness surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees? Only by us relating to Jesus. Because none of us will ever outperform when it comes to tradition or religion, but we can believe and accept and have a restored relationship with God by being clothed in righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. 
that he has bestowed upon us. He, he puts that on us. So when God looks at us, he sees righteousness. <laughs> Can you believe that? Not because of anything I've done, but because of what Christ has done. That is relationship. Do you know every religion in the world is about man trying to get to God? But Christianity is about God coming to man. Have you thought about that? Every religion has its set of doctrines, its set of rules, its set of tradition that you have to follow, or whether you're spinning prayer wheels or you got incense and smoke going and doing all this stuff like it's somehow <laughs> magically transforming something. Every religion is man trying to get to God, whether it's the God, the King of Kings, or you know, the one true God or some other God. But Christianity is about the one true God coming to man. Man, can you, do you see the stark difference? Aren't you thankful for that? Does being religious get us closer to Jesus or is it a barrier that keeps us away from him? Because really religion leads to guilt and condemnation. And if you just read the New Testament and see the Pharisees, that's what was going on big time. And we'll see that in a couple of stories we're going to look at. Religion leads to guilt and condemnation, but Jesus brings corrective conviction that leads to life and freedom. Paul describes his own experience in Philippians. I got all these marked with these little papers. I'll probably get lost here. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. So Paul says, I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. And then he goes into the reason why. Circumcise the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law a Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. So Paul saying, I've done all of these things. I've held the law, tradition, our religion. I've done all of that better than anybody else. We get to chapter 7. I hate to say it this way, but you know what they say about the Bible. There's always look for the big but. <laughs> he says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things, all of that, to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing, which would be relationship, Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish in order that I might gain Christ, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, which, which comes from where? Derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may, and he says again, know him, relationship, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. I recently read a book called Beautiful Outlaw. It's about Jesus. How about that title? Beautiful Outlaw, talking about Jesus. 
He didn't fit the mold, did he? It's a book by John Eldridge, and in his book he writes this, The purpose of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was to ransom you from your sin, deliver you from the clutches of evil, restore you to God so that his personality and his life could heal and fill your personality, your humanity, and your life. This is the reason he came. Anything else is religion. And that's exactly what Paul's saying. If you want to go back and read that on your own, what we just read, Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. That's basically what he's saying. I set aside all of the religious attitudes and all of that stuff to know Christ. So is a religious Jesus approachable? Not really. The religious ideas of him make him unapproachable, really. But the Jesus of the Bible is always approachable. You know, the Jews did not dare even utter God's name. You know, when you see it written with G-D, I mean, that's a reverence that's admirable, for sure. They wouldn't even dare utter God's name. But you know what? We're on a first-name basis because Jesus made that possible. Sometimes we reverently address God as Almighty God or Everlasting Father or the Great One who sits upon the white throne of judgment or whatever we, you know, we want to say. Not that there's anything wrong with any of that or that it's not true. It's absolutely true. It's not wrong to address Him that way, but Jesus taught us to say, Abba, Father. And everything I can find says one of the best ways to understand what Abba means, it's, it's personal, it's intimate, is to just translate it daddy. Like a child running to his father's lap. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption. We've been adopted into the kingdom of God, adopted by him as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father. Jesus is never referred to in the scriptures as Mr. Christ, is he? <laughs> He's Jesus. He's a friend. He's a brother. Now, don't get me wrong. By his very nature, he commands respect and reverence for sure so don't miss the point here but even though he commands all of our respect all of our allegiance he's approachable remember it's he came to us Emmanuel God with us John Eldridge again in beautiful outlaw he says you can honor him respect him insist that others do, and never actually love him. I think that was what was going on with the Pharisees. They had all of the, all of the rules down. And they, they, they honored God with those rules, respected him, and insisted that everybody else do, but did they love him? Did they know him? Was there a personal relationship? 
Jesus doesn't fit the religious stereotype. You can't squeeze him into a religious mold. When you read the Bible and you focus on Jesus for who he really is, what we really see there, it's so enlightening, it's so eye-opening. He had a certain amount of playfulness. And did you know Jesus even had a certain amount of sarcasm? It's a good thing sarcasm's okay. Apparently it is because Jesus did it. And we'll see that here in a minute because I've got it nailed, I'm telling you. Just ask my wife. She gets me shirts to talk about how sarcastic I am. <laughs> but it's all in good jest, all in good humor. But Jesus did use these things. Let's look at some examples. Matthew chapter 5, uh, 15. Yes, sorry. I would have been totally wasting our time there. Uh, Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 9. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? Here we go. For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And Jesus answered and said, And why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? So they're making accusations. You're not following the traditions. But their tradition is the tradition of the elders, if you notice. There in verse 2. But Jesus says, You yourselves transgress the commandment of God, not the tradition of elders, for the sake of your, of your tradition. For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever shall say to his father or mother, anything of mine you might have been helped by has been given to God. Did you catch that? This is what these people were doing. Anything of mine you might have been helped by has been given to God. Sorry, mom, dad. I am so religious. I've given everything to God. I've got nothing left for you. <laughs> you believe that? It's right there in, the, in red. <laughs> So, whoever shall say to his father or mother, anything of mine you might have been given has been given to God, he's not to honor his father or his mother. And thus you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. That's religion. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. So we've got to move beyond just religious ideas of Jesus and traditions and things of that nature into a personal relationship. Otherwise, we're neglecting the commandments of God. Jesus said it right there. They would actually neglect to care for their aging parents by stating that everything they had has been given to God, apparently everything but their hearts. It was a religious attitude that was used to neglect doing what God had instructed, which was honoring father and mother. A little further in this same chapter, verses 21 through 28, we read this wonderful story. Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman came out from that region and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. 
my daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. Now, you're familiar with this story, I'm sure. And maybe you've read this story and thought, man, that, that's a Jesus pill. It's kind of hard to swallow. So listen to the language here because it, it, it kind of makes Jesus sound kind of harsh. And, and so I think we take that and we think, well, you know, he's God. He, he can do that. And he can. He can do whatever he wants. But is, are we reading it right? So let's, let's continue. She cries out, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came to him and kept asking him, saying, Send her away, for she is shouting out after us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Remember, this is a Canaanite woman, not from the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, your faith is great. Be it done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. So what do we do with that? Well, I think we try to understand the nature and the character of Jesus, and we reread the story, understanding who he really is and what he was trying to get across this day. See, in the Old Testament... Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 16 through 18, the Israelites were told to wipe out the Canaanites because they were so bad and so damaging to God's people. If you go and you read it, it's the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hibites and the, all the ites. He told them basically to wipe those people out. But it's not because God's mean or cruel. It's because he knew the heart and the nature of these people and all they were going to do instead of ever come to him, was corrupt his people. And he warned about that. So it's better, apparently, in, in, in God's system, <laughs> to wipe out these people who are never going to follow him, likely, in order to stave off an even greater evil <laughs> that, that would come. So Canaanite, the Canaanite people were um, far from God, to say the least. But God's people did not wipe all of them out. Otherwise, we wouldn't have this Canaanite woman here in this encounter with Jesus in the New Testament. They weren't all wiped out. But the disciples would have, who, were, who were there with him would have seen her as less than. They would have looked down upon her just because of their tradition and their understanding and, and what they knew of. They knew the Torah which Deuteronomy was part of that. They knew that God had said to wipe these people out. So they obviously were, were seeing her probably not what we would say is in a Christ-like way. But Jesus is just now, you know, he's just on the scene changing all of that. That's what he's doing. He's changing these ideas, these attitudes. He's putting a new spirit in his people. So they would have seen her as, as less than. At first, Jesus seemed to just ignore her. Well, that's not very Jesus-like. Then he basically says he wasn't sent to her kind. Well, that's not very Jesus-like either. 
especially when we know he was sent to everyone. Then he calls her a dog. Now, granted, if you look at the language, it's not the street mongrel kind of dog, but the family pet kind of dog, at least. You know, like it was more like a puppy, like would sit on your lap. But nonetheless, he called her a dog. He can sound harsh and unkind here, but we know that Jesus loved her because he loves everyone. So what is really going on here? Jesus was always compassionate toward sinners, and he saved his frustrations for the religious people. So he wasn't frustrated with her. He wasn't being unkind toward her. He's teaching a lesson here. So what if we read this story remembering that Jesus loves her and he wants to save her soul? What if we read it realizing that Jesus might be being a little bit playful here, even a little bit sarcastic to make a point? Because his disciples are listening. So let's read this story again. A Canaanite woman came out from that region and began to cry out saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But Jesus didn't answer her. Now, he did not, not answer her because he didn't like her or because he didn't want to be bothered by her. That's totally not the character of Jesus. So we know that's not what was going on here. He had to have another reason. His disciples, this is a teaching opportunity for him. So his disciples come and they say to him, asked him, send her away for she's shouting out after us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, which is probably exactly what they were thinking. And he knew it. But she came, began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. Now, who is the most Christ-like in this story? This woman or the disciples? They're his followers. And because of tradition... They're saying, send her away. Now, granted, again, if you look at the, la- the original language, the phrase, send her away, really means uh, just go ahead and give her what she wants and get rid of her. So it wasn't like they were saying, just don't even help her and send her away. It's like, go ahead and help her, but, get, but send her away. So in their defense, it, it was that at least. So she's bowing down saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Again, he knew the heart of his disciples. That's probably exactly what they were thinking. (laughs) Get this dog out of here. But she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from the master's table. And Jesus said, oh, woman, your faith is great. Be it done to you as you wish. And her daughter was healed. And the disciples learned a tremendous lesson that day. But if that's not enough, let's look at one more story. This one found in John chapter 4. And this story, again, demonstrates if Jesus came to uphold tradition and follow religion, he did a terrible job of it. Because look at this story. John chapter 4 verses 3 through 29, and then 39 through 42. So he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. So if you're in Judea and you're going to go to Galilee, you have a little problem if you're a Jew. Samaria lies in between. And the Jews and Samaritans do not have dealings with one another. 
So oftentimes, probably a Jewish man was needing to get from Judea to Galilee would go around Samaria. So Jesus is going to go through Samaria. And if you did want to take the shortcut and go through Samaria, you probably wouldn't speak to anybody. Unless there's another Jew who happens to be there. But you're not going to speak to the Samaritans. And, and a Jewish man certainly not going to speak to a Samaritan woman. Because that would probably be only one reason that people would think that he would be doing that. So that's, that's the, the context of this story. He left Judea, departed to Galilee, passed through Samaria. He came to a city of Sychar, a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman therefore said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? And then the, the note there, at least in the New American Standard, is for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. See, Samaritans were half-breeds. They weren't fully Jew. There had been some, uh, some intermingling that went on um, in the Assyrian captivity in uh, 721 B.C. They had intermarried with the Assyrians, and that's where we get the Samaritans. So Jews don't have dealings with Samaritans, but Jesus is. He's not, he's not, that's why I said this story is gonna, going to demonstrate if, if Jesus, if being <laughs> proper and right was being following tradition and religion, Jesus did a horrible job of it because he, he shouldn't even have been here. But he's having a dealing with the Samaritan woman. So Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water, springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go call your husband and come here, and, and then come back here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. And I love this woman's response. She says, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> you think? <laughs> Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, 
he who is called Christ, when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Well, she was kind of a step ahead of, of the Jews. <laughs> she was expecting and looking for and the Messiah. They claim to be, but she seems to actually be. He will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point, his disciples came back. They marveled that he's speaking with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot. And, you know, there's significance even in that. She left her water pot. Wasn't that her whole purpose in coming to the well? Was to get all of a sudden her purpose pales in comparison to Jesus' purpose for her. She left her water pot. That wasn't important anymore. And and went into the city and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all the things I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? Then we jump over to verse 39. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. She's an instant evangelist. She testified, He told me all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they were not saying to the woman, it is no, and, and they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. This woman just became a tremendous evangelist. The people of this city, the men of the city, are putting their faith in Christ because of this encounter. If Jesus was interested in following tradition, he never would have spoken, spoken, spoken to a Samaritan woman. He wouldn't have smoked either. <laughs> he never would have spoken to a Samaritan woman. But he's not interested in religion. He's interested in relationships with everybody who will have him. Now, this past week, I have a men's group that I attend. Uh, we meet every three weeks, and we were discussing these ideas of who the real Jesus is. And one of the guys, I don't remember at what point he said this or exactly what preceded it, but he said the phrase, tripping on the tree roots of tradition. And I got my phone out and I put that in notes because I thought that's got to play, that's going to fit. That's going to fit right into this week's tripping on the tree roots of tradition. Boy, isn't that easy to do. Let's make sure we don't get tripped up by religion or tradition and miss a real relationship with Jesus. I'm going to share one more quote from the book Beautiful Outlaw, and then we're going to look at two scriptures and we're done. So John Eldridge again. This is so good. So listen closely to this quote. The more you give the parts of your life over to Jesus, the more his life is able to invade yours. The relief alone is worth the price. That's such a good quote. I'm going to read it one more time. It's so good. The more you give the parts of your life over to Jesus, the more his life is able to invade yours. The relief alone is worth the price. Don't you want to be relieved of all the extra junk and just relate to Jesus?
John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. Jesus said, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, which is the life, right? You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He is all that we really need. There's a place for certain tradition, certain religious type activities. But we cannot let that get in the way of just simply knowing Christ. And so I just want to invite you, you know, to maybe just think differently about how you relate to Jesus. He's just a friend. <laughs> He's a brother. He just wants to walk through life with you. If you invite him into the parts of your life, every part of your life, he will invade. And the relief alone of not carrying that burden anymore is worth the price. So as the worship team comes, I just want you to be encouraged. Uh, maybe this week, think about these things and determine what can you give to the Lord that you haven't fully surrendered.